Hello, boys and ghouls. And welcome to an episode of Tricks, Treats, Traditions, and Situation Comedies. As we explore some of those things that spice up the hallowed holiday of Halloween. So, get a sack or poke. Guise yourself as protection against the souls of the returned dead. Wear reflective clothing and observe Old Hollow's Eve with a couple of Halloweens. Once upon a time and a long, long ago. Wait, uh. And something was high, but their spirits were Men's low. Men's courage was, was high, high, but their, their spirit was low. People grew tired of all work and no play. They, they felt the need of a jolly holiday. What do you think about that? I, I actually cut out a verse. <clears throat> I noticed one. you did, because it goes... Um, yeah. It goes, then along came then, Christmas, along then, came Easter, along came the 4th, 4th of July. Then along came a man by the name of Berlin, Berlin who yeah. took all the holidays all that ever had been. He wrote about Christmas, he wrote about Easter, he wrote about 4th of July. His mind was fertile and his, his pen was keen, keen, but he never wrote a word about Halloween. Then they start tap dancing. Yes. Halloween, Halloween. Something Up like Jack o' Lantern, it's Halloween. Pumpkins hanging high. There's a, a big pumpkin pie in the sky. Could have been apples hanging high. Remember snap? Remember when we tried snap apples? Yes, I do. It was really hard. Yeah. It was so hard. I talked to a guy who did it when he was a kid, and he said that it would take like a bunch of kids, and then one kid's like tooth would just kind of make a nick. Ah. And just a you nick. You need in that it. nick. And then like some the, kids got to take the sore tooth for the team. Yeah. Then, then the other kids could like work on that nick, and then like actually eat the apple, and you know get a good bite out of it. I guess was the goal. And for some reason, the next week, all of them have the same colds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the same with apple bobbing. We, did we yeah. switch out the water between bobs, no, or we, we just didn't. went ahead? But I went first. <laughs> 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 And it took forever. We're like, apple bobbing, how hard could it be? Right. That was so much Imagine harder. snap apple, but slippery. Yes, and you can't breathe. Oh, and you can't breathe. At least snap apple, you, like, you the, breathe the, through your nose. Exactly. The thing with apple bobbing that I didn't realize is that in order to get any purchase on the apple with your teeth, you kind of have to shove it all the way down the bottom of the bucket if you can, yeah. or to the side of it, I which guess involves that's why it's submerging never, your face completely. It's never in anything that's too deep, because you've got to go all the way down. You really do. Where, like, the apple's against the bottom, and you're against the apple, and you're just like, <laughs> Your kitchen floor was wrecked. We got water everywhere. Yeah. And then it's like, let's take photos of each other for our social media, and we're both just like wet and red. Not our best We're just selves. red because we've been <laughs> just submerging ourselves in water. Ah, uh, memories. I got two. I ate two whole apples. <laughs> uh, Kat, we have much, much to discuss. We do. But you opened up your purse and plunked out. Much like, was it last episode? It was. I was like, Kat, novelty Twinkies. And you are... I just one-upped you. We had the By the way, in total, lunch. this will be our third on-air Twinkies. The first was our, our Thing <laughs> episode, when I revealed that the goo 
Oh, that's right. Of the like exploding dog was made of the same stuff that Twinkies are made out of. Or maybe just the cream filling, I suppose. Mm. And then last episode, the novelty Ghostbusters Twinkies. We kind of did a number on those. And now they're back. And now we've got, what'd you bring me? I think they're pumpkin spice cheesecake flavor. So, from mm. what I understand, there's like going to be some kind of a pumpkin pie spice cheesecake filling. And there's covered in white fudge as the um, marshmallow ones were that we had last episode. Mmm, so far so good smell. Mm. Uh, you're right. White fudge, a little soft to the touch because it has been somewhere in the 90 degrees today. <laughs> Just like all the Halloween mm. candy I bought, mm -hmm. it's all in the fridge. Just Smart. all of it. This is delicious. Mm. Oh, there it is. Pumpkin. No. Cheesecake. <laughs> I'll be honest. Again, I could do without the fudge on the outside. I think it takes away from the sponge cakiness of kind the Twinkie. Distracts from it. Mm -hmm. mm. But I will say that this is reminding me that I need to go out and buy, if I can find them, just the plain old pumpkin spice Twinkies that are just regular Twinkies that have pumpkin spice filling. They are so delicious. The pumpkin spice flavor of that filling is so subtle that it feels like you're eating just a regular Twinkie, just a little bit pumpkin spicy. Oh man, so good. What other pumpkin spice items have you gotten thus far? I had some Thomas's English muffins, pumpkin <laughs> spice. Mm-hmm. Really good. Alec liked those too. The latte, right? Mm-hmm. I was just assuming. Naturally. Yeah. I've had some pumpkin spice muffins. And then this. I've kind of gone easy on it so far. It'll kick in a high It's not year. even the end of September one. yet. I know, I know. When this is being recorded. And I'm like, I'm holding back when I decorated two weeks ago for Halloween. <laughs> I made my first Halloween season trip to Target mm. two nights ago. And just like, I'm getting the cart. Forget the basket. Did you get all your cereals? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got three of each. Nine total. I didn't even remember that I got two of each last year. And that that lasted me a while. I just put them in the cart. From what I remember, you lose all rational abilities when you're near a box of Count Chocula. I've got chocolate sweeties for monstrous chocolate flavor. Well, I've got berry-flavored sweeties for monstrous strawberry flavor. Kat, let us take a moment to uh, talk about the history of Halloween Boys and Ghouls episodes. <laughs> Started off with one that was sort of Halloween, the holiday, and Halloween, the movie. Mm -hmm. We tried to go back and forth and let things from the 1978 John Carpenter classic remind us of Halloween things from our own life. Mm-hmm. Then the one after that was Halloween Specials. Halloween Specials. Check that one out, folks. That one is not shows that had Halloween episodes, but like actual specials. Catch them once a year specials. Yeah, so things like we talked about The Worst Witch. We talked about It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. The Pumpkin like Who Couldn't that. Smile. Uh, Halloween's Halloween Special. Yeah, mm -hmm. Halloween That Almost Wasn't. Yep. Then the year after that was History of Halloween. Yeah, it was A Brief History of Halloween, which I highly recommend revisiting. It's all It's history. so good. I was re-listening to it today, if I may. Such a good episode of Boys and Ghouls. It's so informative. It was so nice to be able to refresh myself on all of that. And then last year, we did... Halloween Haunts. Yeah. All about haunts. Some really good episodes. If you haven't gone and listened to those, they're really worth a listen this time of year. And if you have, they're really fun re-listens. And now, well, we were standing in line for a mini haunt in Scarole when we started discussing what to cover for October. And we decided to do sort of like a catch-all, as you put it, just what's left about Halloween that we haven't covered yet. Mm -hmm. And as full as our hearts are, it took us a moment to be like, well, we can do, oh my gosh, this, yes. Which for me was 
Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors. And I said to you something I've been wanting to learn about was vintage Halloween collectibles. I've always kind of mooned over the books that they have at Halloween Town that show like all these decorations. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about them except they look antique and really cool. And Martha Stewart has appropriated them for a lot of her decorations. And I was like, I want to learn about that. And so I'm going to cover that for this episode. And I was like, oh, you know, it's a thing that I never really thought was a thing. And then I realized it's a thing that the TV show Roseanne. Yeah. They put a lot of stock into their Halloween episodes. Enough so that a DVD has been released of like just their Halloween yes. episodes. And just this year, Fright Rags has released an incredible shirt yeah. that has the characters from the season two Halloween episode of Roseanne. And because they've realized that we all started talking about it, like in person yeah. and online. And they were like, people love the Roseanne Halloween episodes. One of those great things that just sort of stays buried in us until somebody goes, remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Do you remember that? I remember that. Yep. And then the internet just goes, remember that? <laughs> and because we'd never covered it in any real way, we thought it was time to uh, talk a little bit about the movie Trick or Treat. Because it's so very Halloween-y. It's the most Halloween-y, mm-hmm. really. Which po- possibly is- more Halloween-y than Halloween. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. I would say, I mean, just moment for moment, it's just dripping, dripping. Yeah, because it. I would say that Halloween is like a killer movie first set at Halloween, whereas Trick or Treat is a Halloween movie first with various killers and spooks and... Trying to incorporate like every trope of Halloween and spooky stuff. To the point of, I think, making up some. Sure. I'm down. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, sounds right and it'll work for this movie. Do you want to start there? Sure. Okay. Let's do it. During the spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. (laughs) Trick or treat, folks. Directed Um, by Mike Doherty. Yes, who later gave us Krampus, and we'll be looking at that in a couple of months. We sure will, at Christmas time. Previous to that, he had made a hand-animated short called Season's Greetings, which is only a couple minutes long. It's so good. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't even know it was animated. So it starts with, like, the shot of the crow and the shot of, like, the black cat and, like, the clock reaching midnight. And I'm like, oh, this is going to pull out any second. They're watching some kind of a classic Halloween I want to say 70s cartoon, and they're going to pull out and be some guy watching it, and then, you know, like, the whole short will go from there. Not so. That was the animation. And where it went to was um, the little Sam character. Yeah. Which I guess we could just find out through the credits, because they never say it out loud. He doesn't speak, particularly. And everyone who is familiar with it We all seem to movie, know it. And there are characters, you know, like Little Funko, you know, any kind of design characters always... That you can buy merchandise, says Sam. Okay. So we all know that that's his name. And he is the common thread in a movie that plays with time a little bit mm-hmm. here and there. He seems to be some kind of vengeful spirit of Halloween. Sure. One, if you don't have the Halloween spirit, he can come for you. And if you've done any particular wrongs, he can come for you. And then he just sort of seems peripheral to other Halloween goings-on. He, he almost, it seems like he enjoys watching mischievous or bad or interesting. He just likes watching very Halloween-y things going down. Yeah, and there's no backstory on this guy. 
we don't know if he disappears at midnight and just, see you again next Halloween. Yeah. Or where did he come from? Is he only in that town? Is there one for every town? Is he like the Grinch? Who knows? Mm-hmm. And it's like a child, basically. Child-sized. With what was described as a flower sack mask <laughs> and like kids' orange pajamas with like button eyes and with his really big head. The movie itself, it was made and shelved. IMDb officially says 2007. Can you find out when it was released on DVD? Because it, it got a DVD release. It was supposed to get a theatrical release. The film was originally slated to be released in October 2007 for a Halloween release. Yeah. Warner Brothers, without explanation or reason, pulled the film from the schedule and no rescheduled date was announced. One reason might have been that Saw 4, which came out in 2007 was slated for release around the same time and Warner Brothers did not want to compete against it in fears of a big opening against them. The film was finally released straight to DVD in October 2009. Okay, so just two years. Yeah. So it's the movie that could have just as easily disappeared. Its theatrical release was pulled. It just kind of quietly came out on DVD in what month did you say? October 2009. Okay, well still in October then. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a good time. For it naturally. Yeah. Halloween. Drink a treat, drink a treat, drink a treat for Halloween. Better give a treat that's good to eat if you want to keep life serene. The first thing of Halloween, you know, the jack o' lanterns, the guy says to his girlfriend or wife, don't blow out the candle, it's tradition, you're supposed to leave it overnight, which I can only say, that is a tradition of fire hazards. Sure. And it's totally made up for the movie, Good. obviously. I mean, which I, but I love it. It just sets up kind of a piece of unique lore that I like. It does. I guess I'm too uptight because the first pumpkin introduced is on the ground outside of the house where the couple had left. They weren't even home. Left a candle burning in the pumpkin next to dry, crispy leaves. There, that town's going to burn to the ground. There are quite a few things in this movie that I just had to, the second time around, where I was like, that doesn't make Ah, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm with you. As we speak more on different topics, my fire hazard alarm is going to go off again. I think that's your mom in uh, your head. I've made it this She's far. It's all about the safety, yeah. <laughs> what about having a candle burning inside your pumpkin? A flashlight could be a lot safer. Than it's best to stay away from lighted candles that are inside or outside of jack-o'-lanterns. You know why. The movie finds its way to as many Halloween tropes as possible. Um, Indeed. The kid smashing pumpkins, which leads right into the take one bowl. He goes up and he starts taking a bunch and he gets busted. And the guy who busts him is his school principal, but he's also a killer. <sighs> but because after like a nice little speech about Halloween while he's like aggressively like carving a pumpkin with his knife that he just bought, because all his knives weren't sharp enough. Mm-hmm. He's like, you forgot. Always check your candy. And... It goes from there, really. Yeah. Yes. Then we get introduced to what has become a trope of Halloween as much as the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown and jack-o'-lanterns themselves, and that's young ladies in skimpy outfits. Oh, boy. I have come to accept and cherish them as a part of uh, the Halloween lexicon. Okay. Yep. I am not wearing this. It's too small. My tits keep 
popping out. That's the idea. I don't know why we drove out here when there are perfectly good guys in the city. Fresh meat. It's what we do every Halloween, Lori. But what I love about Trick or Treat is that... And then it turns it on its head. It turns it right on its head. You think these are just flighty girls out to catch some boys and, you know, flirt and go to a party. And they're doing all of those things, but to what end? Well, it's a really sinister one. Well, spoilers right now. They're werewolves. Yeah, they are. And the costumes aren't even their costumes. The bodies are their costumes. Dun, dun, dun. Do you figure? Like, I've never seen a werewolf transformation that wasn't, like, hair growing out, but rather they took their skin off. It's gross and amazing. Yeah, because first they take their clothes off, and you're just like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they don't stop there. They no, just they start, don't. like, peeling their arms off like they were gloves. Which and, I think and, like, makes rolling it their extra legs horrific down. when you've just seen, like, some lovely naked breasts. And they're playing Marilyn Manson's Sweet Dreams. And it's so sexy and cool. And you're dancing and, around the fire. Yeah, and you're like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, no. No. You know, you just you just want them to stop taking their skin off because it's disgusting. Yeah, and they're like, like that slid along the back. And then yes. one of them's just like... <laughs> It's really they're incredible. all she-wolves. And then watch Trick or Treat more than once. Now you can see why it garners such appreciation because you watch it again. And then all of their sort of like catty all their silly dialogue, dialogue all has double meanings. Watching it again this time, you know, you hear when they're putting on their costumes and stuff. One girl teases the other girl for sleeping with, there's a, what, anyway. What do you think she's sleeping like, with? It's yeah. like, we had sailors. And then one's like, that's when you threw up in a Jeep. Yeah. And she's like. I ate some bad Mexican. Yes. She ate a bad Mexican yes. person. Person. And then also she says something about, they all taste the same to me or whatever. So yeah. It's, just, it's very G- Guys quiet. or girls, they all taste the same. Exactly. It's kind of, that line's kind of thrown away, but it is really fun on a rewatch. Yeah. It happened 30 years ago on a late Halloween afternoon. This jumps around to different stories and sometimes it'll stick with one to its conclusion. And then some of them tie in. It's really nicely done. Yeah. And one of the flashbacks is to a bunch of kids on a bus. And they're all in those paper mache masks. By the way, this segment really operates very well as, like, a short film. On its, its own, yeah. Yeah, it's so self-contained. In fact, I watched that clip first, like, out of context before I saw the whole movie. And I was like, wow, if this is what this movie is like, sign me up. All the kids on the bus have these, like, homemade, mostly paper mache masks. You never see their actual face. And so much violence against kids in this movie, which is so fun. Yeah, well, yes, but they take care to one, the kids who die in the bus. You never see their faces, so you never really get to see them as kids. Because if you got to see each of their faces, your heart would break and you'd just stop watching the film. Mm-hmm. Then the other, well, the kid who, who gets it from his principal, he was a jerk. Yep. So it's either don't show their faces, keep them just kind of in the abstract, in a flashback, and even then in masks or make them just horrible people mm-hmm. so there's the the kid who takes all the candy and then there's like the four kids who try to, to tease to trick to horribly trick like an autistic girl yeah they really who, get what's coming to them man she gets her revenge i guess she seems you see her very early on but you don't have any context for her and then when you see her again because it plays with time she's just kind of walking in a daze just like so i've seen some stuff tonight <laughs> But yeah, they get they get theirs. And then the guy, the bus driver, who um, does the kids in, or was going to, like on behalf of their parents, it was like this whole town conspiracy, mm-hmm. sort of. 
he gets his, and that's really the last segment. And that one is the Sam character, who had mostly been an observer since the beginning, just kind of going around. I like the part where the girl, Rhonda, the autistic girl, after she like leaves the other kids to their doom, her and Sam just kind of cross paths, and they just sort of regard each other. Yeah. As like, in, in my mind, I mean, the one's in a complete mask. He has no, he has body language, and that's about it. In my mind, it's sort of like kindred spirits mm. now, and they're sure. both like, yep. And then just go their own ways. Yeah. Although he does get actively involved in murdering Leslie Bibbs' character in the beginning. He does, but we don't, we don't really see him at that point. No. Do we? So much? We don't. We so, just see something snatch her and Yeah. So her. more of him full body watching him go is when he goes after, like, the old man. Played by Brian Cox, by the way, who is never really turned in a bad performance for as long as he's been on my radar. He's pretty great in this movie. Most people enjoy having trick-or-treaters come to their doors. But there are a few people who will do things to hurt kids. They might put sharp or hard objects in candy and apples. Or they might put something on fruit or gum that could make you sick if you eat it. Have you ever run this? I know during the history of Halloween, I tried to look into, um, has there ever actually been cases of tampered candy? As crazy as we all are. I know you could take your candy to the police station and let them run it through a metal detector. I've got pictures of my dad sorting through all of our candy mm-hmm. beforehand just for, like, punctures and needle marks. And people would say razor blades and the apples and, and stuff like that. Uh-huh. I think I read that as of the publishing of that book that we both read, yeah. that the only cases of it had been coming from their own family members. Parents doing that to the children, yes. Horrible. Uh, and there were literally maybe two or three cases. In fact, I'm pretty sure one of them was the pixie sticks. But there was a dad who poisoned his children. And it really was... Was it even on Halloween or was it just poisoned? It was around Halloween. But again, it was such incredibly small, like under a handful of isolated cases. And then it became this huge wildfire of lore that people still worry about today. It's good to be cautious. I guess, except that it literally never happened. Like, no stranger ever put razors in an apple. Like, that never happened. I can't help but feel that this was all post-Charles Manson. Yeah. Somehow, it's just like, they're out there. He was such a big, they're out there. Who? Hippies. Hmm. Living among us. Doping our kids' Halloween candy with LSD and freak-out drugs. Yeah. And that turned into razor blades and pins in the apple and every other thing. But when it comes to uh, Brian Cox's character, he gets just, like, attacked with a razor blade in a candy bar. Yes, like, like, it's so beautiful. Sam unwraps it, and he's like, Whoa! And there's a razor blade like, in it's it. Like a, um, it's like a chocolate bar. Yeah, it's a chocolate bar, but I think of it as, like, a box cutter, it looks like. Yeah. It's really gnarly looking. And also, isn't Brian Cox, like, climbing? He falls down the stairs, and there's razor blades everywhere, and he's just, and, like... And broken glass uh, mixed uh, in ow, with ow, candy. Ow, 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 I'm just remembering, and it makes my hands hurt. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that epic battle between the two of them is really... I remember watching that for the first time with my jaw just on the floor, because I couldn't believe what I was watching. It was so cool. And batty. And a sequel has been announced, and I must say I'm really looking forward to it. Just as we have gotten five Halloween episodes out of the holiday, I believe they can very well get another Halloween-centric horror film with a little Sam somewhere in the center of it. Yeah, and I really think for me, one of the things I realized watching it a second time is 
The music is so very spooky and orchestral and Halloween-y mm. in Trick or Treat. From the get-go, like the very beginning of the movie, you know, it starts off with that like PSA about being careful when you're trick-or-treating that's like from the 50s. It's like, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that really sets a tone for the movie. It's like, oh, okay, it's kind of playful. But the music is so... I don't want to overreach it here. I can't think of anything else to say besides like Elfman-esque, but not... But do you know, it's it's um it's very classic, like scary score type of stuff. It's like Hocus Pocus. It sets that kind of tone where it feels bigger than... It feels magical and whimsical and dark. And deadly. And I love that. Yes, and deadly. Even though the movie is pretty violent and dark, somehow it doesn't feel mean-spirited, even though it's just gnarly, if that makes sense. It still feels playful, I guess. Did you watch Roseanne growing up? Well, you were already a little more grown than I was when it started in 1988. Did I watch Roseanne? Well, Kat, let me tell you a story. Uh-oh. Roseanne came out when I was in seventh grade, so I was the same age as Darlene. <laughs> and really no other TV show seemed to capture my suburban experience like Roseanne. She didn't really reflect my family, but just like... TV sitcom families didn't really have clutter in their house. No one came in wearing a jacket. They all just seemed to live in, like, balmy... Well, some of them, were like, lived in, like, you know, we're in California. And mm. Why wear a jacket? But she lived in Ohio. and Illinois. Was it Illinois? Roseanne? Yeah, Lanford, Illinois. Lanford, Illinois. Okay. And yeah, it, where fact, people wore 80s, jackets. 80s where people sitcoms were... were all upper-middle-class families for the most part. Yeah, really. Pretty well you, didn't, you didn't want your sitcom families to have actual problems. And it got dark there. And I know we've just been watching episodes set, like in the fall, but certain shows never really seem to acknowledge that during certain months of the year, it gets dark early. It's not all just flat sunshine. Mm. So, yes. Now, I didn't always have the best of grades during this time. Really? Wasn't the best student. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're so smart. But smart does not always mean good grades, and vice versa. Sure. <laughs> and I wasn't allowed to watch television during weekdays when my grades dipped, hmm. and that was more often than not. However, I could tune in ABC on my radio, and I could listen to ABC. So there was a lot of their weekday shows that I like listened to as if they were radio dramas, <laughs> including Roseanne. Hey, how's that caramel coming? Uh, good enough to roll around in. Uh, that away from there. You don't need the calories. Well, put a stick in it. <laughs> oh, caramel apples. Hey, hey, leave those alone. You don't want to end up fat like your Aunt Jackie. And its first Halloween episode, it aired October 31st, 1989. And do you know who the, uh, the story editor was? Probably Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joss Buffy the Vampire Slayer Whedon. Yeah, he wrote a few episodes and he was on the writing staff for a while. Yeah, a lot of good talents were, part because she famously went through writing staffs uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, if you're at all interested, there's a lot of really fun, dramatic stuff to mine from the internet about what went on behind the scenes and the antics that Roseanne Barr would pull 
Because she had quite the ego about her position and it being her show. And man, you didn't want to cross her. Holy cow. I had no idea. At the end of the day, for a while there, she really put out a quality product. And gave us just a show we really hadn't seen. Like, they would try to, like, dress her really nice. And she'd be like, no, like, sweaters and flannels. Like, anyways. No, I think she, that's she, she fought to make it as good as I thought it was. And she also fought for storylines that would kind of push the envelope. Yeah. And that in many ways, other shows couldn't really do because it wouldn't make sense. But there were storylines The level about, of reality, like, to have an abusive father. Absolutely. Or, or deal with, like, the teenager's birth control. You know, just, like, kind of hot-button thing. There was a storyline where DJ didn't want to kiss a girl in the school play, and Roseanne finds out it's because she's black, and they have to have a conversation about it. Like, there's... You know, real real stuff going on on this show. And as somebody in the AV Club wrote in an article I read about Roseanne, these are the kind of people that laugh to keep from crying. Mm. Um, now, it does not to say every episode was like a very special Roseanne, but some of them were. But they navigated that kind of landscape by always making jokes about the things that were tough in life. Yeah. Which was nice to see if you were also struggling. And with that understanding, it, it sounds like... The time of year that they really found the best escape from all that by just really doing it is Halloween. Yes. Halloween. Did she say Halloween? <laughs> and watching this now as an adult, like I watched them or listened to them when I was a kid and cart reruns here and there. But now that I'm, I'm actually thinking older than Roseanne was in, in the early seasons, I see a couple that got married really young. And basically grew up together. Yeah. So the 20s partying age was spent domestically. And they just like, we're going to have fun right here. It's Halloween. We're going to have the kids do this and we're going to do this. And we're going to scare that neighbor and we're going to give out this candy and we're going to make the living room into a spooky house. Come on, Rosie. And when we tune in, they're on about like year 15 of this. Yeah. But as the show goes, it's season two, but it's the first time they've ever done a Halloween episode. And... Really, I think, arguably, this is the best one of all the Halloween episodes. Mm -hmm. Are you guys a little old for this junk? <laughs> yeah, but we are just so good at it. Yeah, oh, that's right. When it comes to horror, your mom here's a champ. Uh, they're making caramel apples, and they try to scare the kids with a story of a creepy neighbor. Mm -hmm. Darlene spits blood into Becky's cereal. <laughs> Roseanne's trying to freak Dan out repeatedly. She keeps That's trying right. to prank him. She tries to pretend right. like she's being electrocuted by the toaster, and he doesn't fall for it. She tries to pretend she's choking. And I, I wrote a chart here just called The Master, because after like one would win a prank, and go, The Master. Yeah. So it goes like this. Hand and toaster, and then he tries like blood squirting from a cut hand. He's faking. She pretends to choke, and he just like steps over her. Oh. She gets him pretty good when a guy comes over. Dan's like a contractor at this point. Oh, yeah. That's the culminating moment of it's so great. Well, there's two more pranks after that. But, yeah, he comes over and he says something I probably didn't get to time, but thanks to all of our research. He's like, well, actually, uh, I love spooking people out. I was in the JCs. Yeah. Like, ah, the JCs. Yeah. And she's like, how good is that? What kind of sport are you? He goes, you lead. Yeah. And she's like, all right. So she, Basically, we didn't say it. Roseanne tells this contractor that's coming to talk to Dan a, about possibly giving a him client. a job. Yeah. yeah, a client. He comes over and he's like, I thought we could go over the plans. And Dan's got an ax in his head. Yes, and he's feeling like, uh-oh, do I look unprofessional? And Roseanne tells the guy, like, hey, I'm really trying to scare him. Can you help me out? So yeah. he agrees to. She, like, takes him over to, like, the stew with a hand in it, which I did the math. That must have been Darlene's hand because ah, she wasn't yeah. anywhere else. That's right. Roseanne. Let's have a 
she like dunks him in it she and then throws him on the ground and she's like get up you big sissy and he's like Rosie what are you doing and then it's like gotcha Dan's the master totally freaking out yeah yeah he gets her back by like just slowly walking with a chainsaw towards the garage and she's like knock it off and he's like the master and then I guess maybe this was over the credits but it's it's really the last part she fakes a phone call of her mom coming to visit for three weeks yeah and he's like, no, 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 yeah. no, don't. Ah! The master. And isn't that the real horror? It's it's just lovely the way they blend in the... The over-the-top scares of a chainsaw. Yes. And the domestic fears. And the difficulties of, like, maybe in-laws. missing out on a job. Or oh, yeah. in-laws, you know. Or Jackie's like, you want to scare him? Tell him you're pregnant. Yes. And Dan's like, I don't want to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. The second one plays a little with the gender identity. It does. When little DJ wants to be a witch. Now, when I was working at a Halloween store, I got a little boy who, you know, I'm trying to move a little product. I'm like, so what do you want to be for Halloween? And he goes, a witch. I'm like, do you now? And Harry Potter was just really getting going. Like, Like the first movie hadn't come out just yet, so... I didn't know if he wanted to be taken over to those round wizard boy glasses, or was I going to send him out with a pointy hat? Mm -hmm. And his parents were there, and they were like, he wants to be a witch, like the Wizard of Oz. And I was like, right this way, let's get you a broom, boy. Let's do it. Yeah. I can't remember. you handled it way better than Dan did in this episode, at least at first. His parents seemed fairly liberal, and uh, they had a witch on their hands, and they were going with it. Let's get him down to Halloween Town, get this boy a pointy hat. Well, this storyline personifies, or exemplifies, rather, one of the things that this show, like I was saying, is really good at doing, which was kind of touching on just topics that other shows wouldn't really touch. Not really, um, not, not without making it a very special episode. Yeah. There were kind of parallel themes of, like, or at least ostensibly parallel, of yeah, Roseanne no, was. was dressed like a man in a bar, which we can talk about. But DJ wanted to be a witch. Dan keeps saying, nah, you don't want to be a witch. You want to be a warlock. You want to be a warlock. And DJ's like, no, I want, you know, I want to be a witch. And Dan even he has wants a to conversation his in the middle of a haunted house, which is so funny. Which, okay, here's, uh, here's my mom again. So many lit candles in that haunted house. Actual <laughs> lit candles. It's a very well done haunted house like at the lodge which is that's where i went my haunted houses early experiences were either in like church basements or the knights of columbus Mm -hmm. and so i was like i was right there with it good production value Mm, too many lit candles right wouldn't fly this is television it's television Um, but in a really kind of genius kind of setup Dan goes over to, like, this coffin that his buddy he works with is hiding in as part of the haunted house, and he, like, knocks on the lid. The guy comes out, and he's like, hey, and he gives it, he talks to him about the problem he's having with DJ, and the guy's like, eh, like, just chill out about it. He'll grow out of it, you know, which, you know, I think... Well, the best thing he says is, this is a bigger deal to you than it is to him. Right. He's a transvestite. Uh, not exactly. It ends with him apologizing and saying, like, let's find you a broom. It felt a little unresolved to me. It was just kind of, Dan was just like, I guess I'll just grin and bear it until he grows out of this sissy stuff. Now, I think at the time in 1989 or 80, probably 90, you know, in some ways that was a kind of a progressive attitude about that. And this show tended to be very progressive. Now that wouldn't be progressive today. Today, 
you know, maybe it doesn't, to a modern audience, it would be like, ugh, why is he so worried about his son being a sissy? Like, let his son be whatever. But then this was kind of a progressive way to... Yeah. I'll just say, you know, if you're charting it, Ellen wouldn't be out for another six years. Mm -hmm. Amanda Bierce wouldn't be out for another few years even. She had to sort of shoulder a lot for a while before Ellen. Um, So, yeah, for the day... Right Good up job. there. And Good the, the other half of this being, just as long as we're looking at gender identity, Roseanne dresses as a man for Halloween, goes into... Really good costume. Yeah. Really good just beard. Fit, fake, it's almost like a whole look. TV crew of like, costumers and makeup <laughs> artists like did a number on her. Yeah, what can I get for you, sweetheart? I'll have a white wine. Hey, what about you, fella? <laughs> Come on, pal. I'm busy here. What are you drinking? Uh, give me a beer. <laughs> to be just her and Dan's clothes with a fake beard. But yeah, she looked really good. She did. As a man. And they went to, uh, what's the name of the bar they always go to? Um, the Lobo Lounge. So she goes to the Lobo? She, her car breaks down. Yeah. That's how they went. She and Jackie went up stranded. Um, and Jackie's costume is just like cat ears or something. Mm-hmm. So she just kind of looks like a regular, she takes that off. She looks like a regular lady in a bar. And she's with Roseanne, who looks like a dude. So it looks like they're there on a date. Hilarity ensues. Yeah, she starts comparing herself to like gorillas in the mist. And she goes, I'm going into the men's room. Comes out, it stinks in here. It's so much fun. For me, it culminates with her at the urinal. Like a guy comes in, so she starts pretending to be at the urinal. <laughs> And she's just standing there, and he's just standing there, and she tries talking about something, and he's like, uh-huh. And then she tries again, and he's like, uh-huh. And then she goes, I get it. It's like being in an elevator. <laughs> this is something that I love. I went back and I told you, I went down a rabbit hole. After watching these Halloween episodes, I got kind of obsessed with the show, and I wanted to start it from the beginning, and I watched the first couple of episodes of the show, and I will probably watch all of them <laughs> over the next few months because I'm, I've re-fallen in love with the show. But watching the very first episode, the pilot, it's setting up kind of what the show's going to be about, and there are a lot of there's a lot of talk about gender and gender roles in that first episode. You see Roseanne and Jackie at the factory they work at. Yeah, um, the, the, the plastics plant. factory. Yes, and of course George Clooney plays Booker, her boss, and he's in that first episode. But Roseanne's sitting down with all the ladies, and they're like, and Patty or whoever that woman is who ends up marrying her dad at one point or something. She's like, Roseanne, you're so lucky. And Crystal. Dan. Crystal. I'm sorry. She's like, Roseanne, you're so lucky. You got Dan. He, you know, he, he loves the kids and he he's nice and he helps out around the house. And Roseanne's like, you think he came that way? And she gives this whole speech about how you got to break men in and like. It's just a bunch of, like, women this, men that. And then there's they have an argument towards the end of the episode about how he's not helping her out around the house. And she does all this. And she's also working. And I think of Roseanne as relatively modern because it felt that way when I was watching it, I guess. But now looking back, knowing the show started in 1988, I realized that there was a lot to be said on behalf of women. Especially a woman starring in a sitcom. And... I don't know, there were different ideas about who men and women were supposed to be, and it wasn't, it just wasn't, it sounds dumb to say it out loud, it just wasn't as progressive as it is today, I guess. And so, anyway, I think that that was a common thread throughout the show, is Roseanne kind of being this loud-mouthed woman that didn't just do what all the other women did. She was going to say whatever she wanted to say, and she was mischievous, and she would go into the men's room, and everything's a joke, but also... I don't know, that play with gender, there's so much more there than just, like, she's 
poking around and what's it like for the men? She gets into conversations with the men and kind of like when there's one that's being extra crass at the bar because he he doesn't know she's a woman, she calls him on it, you know? She's like, yeah, sure, sure that happened. I guess I'm just so in love with Roseanne and the woman, the actress, the writer who... And Maven? The yeah, the Maven, who kind of, who fought, as you said, very hard for certain storylines and kind of like ways that this woman was going to be and behave that other people wanted to tamp down. And she was like, no, we're doing this my way. Do you know how, how long that DVD's been available? I didn't find it that. It feels like it's pretty like new on the scene. Hmm. Like everyone's collective enjoyment of Roseanne Halloween feels pretty fresh or maybe it's just coming to me no i think you're right i think it probably came out cresting on the wave of you know people coming together and going hey we're all into this and they yeah, were like here's the deal that could have happened at any point in the last 10 years that's true yeah uh well tell it this is when boys and ghouls gets on board for the roseanne halloween episodes marshall Catalina. Are you ready to learn a bunch of nerdy stuff about vintage Halloween collectibles? Yes. Good. <laughs> this is something that has been growing inside of you for a while. Like, yeah. Like, you don't own anything no. vintage. When you buy Halloween decorations these days, are you drawn to anything in particular because it reminds you of, yes. like, is there any particular pieces in your home that you're like, this... Um, nothing, is like. nothing in my home that really quite comes close to being like the stuff I'm about to talk about, but I really want to start down that road. If you um, wait long enough, all your stuff will be. No, antiques. it will not. Not, <laughs> not like these. These are very specific that we're about to talk about. Number never comes around till dawn. So this kind of road started for me all at Halloween Town. The year-round Halloween store that's mm -hmm. in Burbank, California. First, what happened is I noticed these books that were like vintage Halloween collectibles that are in Halloween Town in their little area where they have some books. And I would pick them up and kind of like thumb through and I was like, all oh, this stuff looks so cool. So I fell in love with that. And then also in that same corner is the Martha Stewart decoration collection. And her stuff tends to skew toward these vintage Halloween collectibles that I'm about to talk about. But that's all I knew was all of this stuff, they, they're these really weird, like, pumpkin faces and big cat faces, and they all have big fat eyes, and they all have this kind can, of can distinguished... Can I speak, speak to those for a moment? Yes, please. They remind me of, if you look at early Disneyland Mickey Mouse yeah. and Minnie Mouse, where they hadn't really gotten the plastic molded faces just right, and they're supposed to be friendly and for yeah. children, and you can see this even more with just... Decades worth of swing and a miss Easter bunnies outfits. Oh, God. Like, it's hard to get a good Easter bunny outfit because so many of them just look terrifying. Yes. And I think the same way for these, like, molded plastic, if that's what they were. Plastic? Fiberglass? What were they doing? I thought you'd be like, well, during World War II, I there was a shortage of this. Therefore, I, they used that. I didn't that. get into materials, so okay. I, don't, I don't know. Well, whatever craftsmanship they were using, they really hadn't yet perfected the jolly pumpkin mm. because everything looked mildly terrifying. I'm glad you said that. And it wasn't that they hadn't perfected it. It was that it was all meant to be terrifying. So I'll bring it back around to that. Ooh. But it was on purpose scary. Okay. 
So as we mentioned at the top of this episode, I highly encourage you guys to go back and listen to our A Brief History of Halloween episode from 2014 because it takes you all the way from ancient Celtic Samhain ritual Ireland all the way up to present day Halloween celebrations in America. And as we talk about in that episode, Halloween is the quintessential American holiday. Right, Marshall, we kind of... We didn't invent it, but we perfected it. We did. But many of the most prized vintage Halloween decor and collectibles that are highly sought after today were manufactured in Germany by small firms and local artisans literally in their homes. And then sent to America? And then or... sent to America. The majority of the vintage Halloween collectibles that are now highly sought after were manufactured between around 1919 and 1935. So right between the two world wars. And there are reasons for this. All right. So Germany was forced to pay reparations for the devastation of World War I and was mm -hmm. having some trouble recovering. Mm -hmm. American commercial interests were helping to finance Europe's rebuilding and the reparation efforts in Germany. We okay. were buying exports from Europe, which was helping to rebuild their economy. So we made them build our knickknacks? Sort of. Souvenirs, novelties, party tricks. Souvenirs, novelties, party tricks. Part of the scarcity and value of these Halloween collectibles was the fact that there wasn't a ton of it, at least the ones coming from Germany. So the, the Denison stuff and Beistel, they still go for a pretty penny, but the German stuff is the really special stuff because it was all handmade, literally in people's houses and artisan wow. craft shops. The other thing is, unlike Christmas decorations, for example, so Christmas decorations were made in, in bulk. better quality and made in bulk and saved up to use the next year. It was a family holiday and we treasured our Christmas ornaments and we'd make sure they didn't break and we'd break them out the next year and we'd pass them through and the you generations. you feel that uh, the Halloween stuff was more disposable? It was. People would throw it away. People would have a big party and then they'd rip it all down and throw it away. So the stuff, there's much less stuff that actually survives. That's why it's all so expensive. Absolutely. And by the way, before I go any further, I want to say I got most of my information from Mark Ledenbach. His website is just HalloweenCollector.com. And he's also, by the way, the author of those books that I was drooling over at Halloween Town. He was the one who put these books together. And Mark Ledenbach on his YouTube channel, he's got 13, no more, no less, 13 videos on his YouTube channel of him showing off some of his Beistel and Denison vintage decor. If you're looking for something to really like pepper some real Halloweeniness into your Halloween season, just sit yourself down and take 15 minutes and watch all of his videos of his stuff. It is so cool. And you can see the stuff I'm talking about. So there were two premier American die cut and party supply manufacturers in this time. We're talking between the two world wars. The Beistel Company of Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, Shippensburg. There you go. My friend Mobley went to Shippensburg. And the Denison Manufacturing Company of Framingham, Massachusetts. And we talked about this a little bit on previous Boys and Ghouls episodes, but Dennis, and by the way, like, I love mentioning again that the Dennison family with Max Dennison is the family from Hocus Pocus, and I love that little Easter egg. Hmm. And you know that's on purpose. Dennison's nearly always annual publication of their bogey books began in 1909. So that was a little bit before the big boom of manufacturing, but before they started manufacturing that large amount of stuff, they had these bogey books, which we've talked about before. We credit them for helping get everyone on the same page on 
what you can do at Halloween. And Here's how you might decorate a room. Here's how you organize a Halloween parade. Mm-hmm. Here's how to have a fun Halloween. A literal instruction manual. Right. And because nobody was really cherishing Halloween decorations up until everybody started wanting to collect them in the late 80s to mid-90s. I've never kept New Year's things after New Year's. Right. So people have had to kind of like retroactively piece together using mostly these bogey books to try to figure out when certain decorations came out exactly. Like date them as far as just cataloging them and knowing what you're buying and selling. So as kind of a primer of... What are you looking at and what are we talking about when we talk about vintage Halloween is the scarier the imagery, the older the item. So we've talked about about the ebb and flow of like what Halloween means in American culture. Sometimes it's for adults, sometimes it's for kids. Exactly. So up until the, I guess what we would say 40s and 50s, something like that, at least in... Late 40s, early 50s when the baby boomers took over. Right. It was mostly an adult holiday. A lot of noisemakers, a lot of party hats. Yeah. And because of that, Halloween decorations at the time, the stuff coming from Beistel and Denison and from German artisans, was purposely designed to be as scary as possible. It wasn't supposed to be delightful and spooky. It was supposed to be garish and ugly and frightening. Put that next to the punch bowl. Mm-hmm. So Mark Ledenbach says the imagery of the older Halloween pieces is significantly at odds with imagery common from the 1950s through today. The imagery then was meant to provoke a reaction, generally a horrific one. The pieces were, in many instances, meant to scare. Oh, it gave me the shivers. <laughs> Only the shivers scared hell out of me. Now, these were largely witches, skeletons, pumpkins, black cats. He describes a sort of a pyramid. So the pumpkin, or its more humanized incarnation, the jack-o'-lantern, mm-hmm. forms the bottom of the pyramid as the most common image. So you've got more pumpkins than anything else. Ascending the pyramid, the middle layers would encompass black cats, skeletons, owls. Then a little less than that are witches, veggie people. So there would be um, Mm -hmm. characters, it would be like little man bodies, but instead of having pumpkins, it might be a turnip or whatever. It is a harvest festival. Mm -hmm. Let's Um, not get away from that. So they're right up there with witches, veggie people, bats, and then the pinnacle, pinnacle, the silver tuna, the thing that you know, if it's truly vintage and you find it, it is the most rare, is devils. You don't see a lot of devils in this vintage area. Can, can, I, can I point out? Of course. That so much of this, which sort of goes up to the 30s and then drops off for the Depression, mm-hmm. what happened in 1931? Dracula and Frankenstein. Mm. What you're describing here is a whole mess of Halloween decorations and ephemera that all managed to exist without the horror film <laughs> to really push it along and say, here's what's cool and here's your icons for you. Mummy, Dracula, Frankenstein, etc. Yep. Those are the biggies. Yeah. Whereas these guys were going on like scary harvest fears that go back a couple of generations that we're now putting on paper and various other post-war materials. Yes. So my own research into vintage Halloween is uh, far more abbreviated than yours. But I did take a trip over to the Mystic Museum for the first time. Cool. 
You've been in there, mm -hmm. and they had an art show, a witches and ghosts art show. Yeah, I'm gonna go check it out. It's still, it's still there. I went for the opening. Mm -hmm. I took with me a Sumo Dan and Casey. First, we all went out for pizza, and then just you know, down the block, we walked over to the Mystic Museum. Mm -hmm. And aside from um, just the usual stuff that's there, it had all the Ouija boards and stuff. It was pretty packed with people, so I really couldn't get a good look at everything I'd like to. So I'll definitely be going back at some point. They had a corner dedicated to, I took a photo here, ah, a ton yes. of everything you've been talking about. Gorgeous. If you can recognize some pieces in there from your, your recent studies, just a... A bogey book! A bogey book? That's a game! You throw something into his mouth! There's the beanbags. The, ah, into a big smiling pumpkin's mouth. Them. There's this specific orange. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's because it's been, like, aging for 50 years, or if it was always that color orange, mm -hmm. but there seems to be, like, like, they sort of settled on one Halloween orange. Kind of a dusty... Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they were like, here's the orange, and it just found its way to, like, every product. Yeah. There's an old Butterfinger box. <gasps> wow. From probably the 50s. Like a Saturday it's, evening post. Yeah. Probably Halloween-y. The bogey book is from 1916. Wow. I got to flip through it. You did! Stephanie Jens, who is part owner of the Mystic Museum, this is her private collection. Wow. And she, um... Hung out and answered some of my questions and let me touch a few things. That is so cool. You did some real on-the-ground research. And it's all valuable enough. They didn't want people, like, messing with it, so there was always, like, someone next to it. Yeah. Kind of keeping an eye on things. Yeah, that's probably a couple thousand dollars worth of stuff at least. She said the bogey book was a few hundred dollars. Yeah. But she said this witch here was just a few doors down at Junk for Joy. She just ah! happened to find it. That's fun. So, uh... Once again, living in Burbank. Man, the things you find. The treasures. There's nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust your picture. We are controlling the transmission. What's that, boy? We're in control? Hey, look! I can see my voice! <laughs> this is my voice! On TV! Dad, you're ruining the mood! Sorry. For the next half hour, we will control what you see and hear. You are about to experience the terror and foul horror of The Simpsons Halloween Special. One of the things that I wanted to cover, once I wanted to do it as a whole topic, but the idea of doing all of The Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors what season are they up to now? If they started oh, in 1990. I don't know. 26, so that would give them 25 episodes. Uh-huh. Roughly? Yeah. That could be off by a couple years. As you know, and as our, our real avid listeners may remember, I trick or treated until I was 16 years old, at which point I was taller than most of the people answering the door. Uh, I would still wear a costume, Mostly it was just I dress in black and wear like a hood with a cowl and just be like, trick or trick or treat. <laughs> you live around here? Yeah. You were hanging on to the Halloween magic or trying to. When can you say I would do it last year, but I won't do it this year? 
I remember you, you know? first describing that predicament to me a couple of Boys and Ghouls years ago, and I it made me sad because I'm like, you're right. How do you delineate? Like, what what yeah. what determines that? At what point do you say never again? Mm. And it's people sad. didn't come to our house to trick or treat because we lived on a busy street, so I couldn't like just flip to the other side. So it was like go out or do nothing. Yeah. And nothing was such a bleak prospect. But the following year, I was driving some if I could get the car. <laughs> And it rained. It rained on Halloween. Thank God. <gasps> otherwise, I might have just run out and trick-or-treated again. So a bunch of us wound up at my friend Dave's, who had a waterbed and a TV in his bedroom. And a bunch of us just got onto his waterbed. <laughs> that was always so magical when you were younger. Yeah. Like, the, you sleep on water. Yeah. Such a lucky duck. Yeah. And that year... All of the previous, which would have been a uh, 93, three Treehouse of Horrors is one, two, and three were aired, followed by the new one, number four. Wow. Thank goodness that The Simpsons gave me and my teenage friends something to do. We weren't out causing mischief, and we weren't out getting candy, but we had all to that date of the Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors. And for those of you who haven't caught any over the years, basically it's a Simpsons episode that would air a little before Halloween or when it was being preempted by the um, World Series after Halloween and couldn't believe anybody would mess with the schedule like that, but okay. <laughs> um they would leave the reality of The Simpsons in three segments. Every episode has three separate, self-contained, but sometimes they bleed over, little callbacks and crossovers. Three stories, often inspired by pre-existing horror movies, very often Twilight Zone episodes, or horror tropes. And by now, I mean, if, it's, if they've had 25, let's just say, that means they've had 75 segments. Yep. The earliest one, number one, that's where the name Treehouse comes from, which is like Bart and Lisa are up in the treehouse telling scary stories. Mom, Dad, look! It's an ancient Indian burial ground. Man, this place has got everything! The first one was a haunted house one, where they all move into a haunted house. Mm -hmm. Second one was the introduction of Kodos and Kang, who they say were designed off of aliens from the, the cover of EC Comics. The old like horror comics, what they say was like pre-code before they kind of cracked down on how vicious comics could be. Stephen King really kind of cut his teeth on yeah. reading Creep DC Show comics. and then yep. Tales from the Crypt were, were based around these comics. And people who worked on that comic would give themselves scary names. Oh. And th that's where so it came that's from where the Simpsons. It came from for the Simpsons. I didn't know that. Yeah. And they say that the Treehouse of Horror episodes are always the hardest because they will just go anywhere and do anything. And one, it's the hardest story-wise to encapsulate a complete story three times in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Which is why whole plot points have gone by and, like, the credits are still rolling because they're just like, boom, boom. But they can also rely on the tropes of horror and science fiction and plots of horror movies like The Shining became The Shining. Right. To let you know what's happening. You can just yep. sort of follow so the if beats. if you've seen it, you're keeping up pretty easily, even if they're glossing like, over some stuff. Like a Mad Magazine parody will just sort of like, this scene, that scene. Yeah. And if you if you know the movie, it's just like, 
Oh, yes, yeah. one follows the other. I'm about to read you a classic tale of terror by Edgar Allan Poe. Wait a minute. That's a school book. Don't worry, Bart, you won't learn anything. And then the last one was The Raven, which I read along. Certain segments were skipped from The Raven, but those were always at parts when they would cut back to Bart. You know what would have been scarier than nothing? What? Anything! When they would cut back to the treehouse, something would get skipped. Uh. And it was James Earl Jones, one of the greatest voices out there in, in yeah. voiceover work, reading The Raven and illustrated by Homer and like a little Raven Bart. And that was number one. And it only got better. We did something very bad. Did you wreck the car? No. Did you raise the dead? Yes. But the car's okay. Uh-huh. All right, then. Even the casual viewer of The Simpsons, they've just become so omnipresent and been around for so long. You still know the characters. Oh, yeah. Even if you only watch it every now and then. And they've so built up all these peripheral characters to The Simpsons that every horror trope or every device will have a Springfield resident that correlates <laughs> to that. You're like, oh, I needed this kind of character. Oh, comic book guy can do that. I need a Freddy Krueger co- well, the janitor. Yeah, who better? It's perfect. Groundskeeper Willie. Yeah. I need a vampire. Well, that's Burns. And then, like, already Smithers is the perfect Renfield. Yep. So, like, like, so many of the characters are already there. Come in. Uh, fresh victims for my ever-growing army of the undead. Sir, you have to let go of the button. Oh, son of a bitch. Uh, fast forward. This is, a. Uh, Marshall's life as told through Treehouse of Horrors. <laughs> Season six, I was hanging out with friends. Now I'm, I'm an adult. Uh-huh. And they were still showing previous Treehouse of Horrors on TV before, like, the new one. And just sort of doing the math from previous years, I thought I had another rerun before the new one. And I was talked into heading down to Wawa to make a hoagie run for everybody. And when I got back... It was the closing credits of the Nightmare Cafeteria segment. Oh. The last one. The one that was um, the shinning time and punishment in Nightmare Cafeteria. I was like, I missed a new one? And they were all like, oh, it was really good, too. Oh, no. And then literally, I'm still friends with all these guys. And literally, like, a, a couple years ago, I was telling someone about this. I'm like, yeah, well, these guys, I mean, they were big Simpsons fans. I mean, they taped, like, every episode. They taped every episode. They taped that episode. I didn't have to wait a year before seeing it, but they were like, guess you have to wait a year, Marshall. And I was like, yes, I do. And then literally a year later, I remember I was with my sister and I'm like, this is the one. This is the one I missed last year. Oh, set the VCR. This will be mine forever and I will treasure it. Yeah. Seymour, what's with the good grab? Well, perhaps I ought to let you folks in on a secret. You remember me telling Jimbo Jones that I'd make something of him one day? Are you saying you killed Jimbo, processed his carcass, and served him for lunch? <laughs> 2001. A friend of mine owned a house, and he announced, I'm holding a, a Halloween party. There's going to be beer, pumpkins. Bloody goblins. Fake ones. When he realized he really didn't have the money to really throw a good shindig, he was like, I think I'm going to cancel the, the Halloween party. And I went, no! No, you're not! You, I'll... I'd been like saving money to move to Los Angeles, and so I was I was rolling in it because mm-hmm. I was still living at home, and just like everything just went to the bank, and I was like, I'll I'll pay for all the booze. Mm-hmm. I didn't really drink, yeah. Then or now, I didn't realize how much booze cost. <sighs> oh my god! I mean, I knew it was kind of expensive, but like we went to the liquor store, the state store, and it was just like, well, we're gonna need two of these and three of these because the guy was a bartender also, so he like he knew what people drank. 
and like what would make for a good party and it's like one of these and I uh, need a case of this and some people drink this and ring it out it was like everything I made in a week at a video store like oh. my whole paycheck which is when like I had a paycheck and then I wow. bought booze I didn't drink a drop of it <laughs> you think you've got enough stuff we don't want to be late to our own party. But it was all in the um, service of the Halloween gods. Service of Halloween. Mm-hmm. I'm healing America, starting with my group of friends. Good Samaritan. Also, I was working at a Halloween store that year. I had access to broken Halloween stuff uh-huh. that I could get for really cheap. And at some point, I got the idea, and I called him up. I was like, let's theme the party. A treehouse of horrors party. And he's like, well, get on it. And so I did. And I will now tell you what I did. Okay. First, it's a Halloween party. We've got the booze. People are going to come in costumes. That's the year I was Henry Rollins. Uh-huh. I had my friend Bill, who's an artist, draw tattoos on me. And I just wore a tight black shirt. And I pretty much did it. So costume, check. I went and bought, like, sheaves of corn and would, like, bring it over to his house and set up, like, corn stalks mm-hmm. and, like, like, pumpkin. And Okay, well, first thing, for the several of the first episodes, they would have funny tombstones. They would sort of, like, go through a graveyard and would say, Elvis, accept it. Mm-hmm. And the ones that I had on tape, I found on my various VHSs and would, like, pause and, like, duplicate the tombstones on, like, gray foam core. Uh-huh. So there was those. Then more episode-specific than that, going in order... From the one where they all have nightmares. Mm-hmm. Treehouse of Horror 2. From Lisa's Nightmare. The Monkey Paw. Uh-huh. That monkey paw is going to make our dreams come true. I found among the, like, reject Halloween costumes that I could get for really cheap, just one gorilla glove. Yeah. And I was like, I got a monkey's paw! Which, because of The Simpsons, only had three fingers and a thumb. Still, I, like, stuffed it with cotton, mm-hmm. and I just, like, stuck it on the, on the coffee table. Yeah. And I was like, monkey's paw! Check. Same episode was Bart's Nightmare, which they based on that Twilight Zone episode where the kid could wish people into the cornfield. Yeah. And from that one, Bart's test. You know, Bart is basically the ruler of the world because he's the monster. Yeah. And so uh, I duplicated the test, and then I duplicated Bart's handwriting. So, like, America was called Bonerland <laughs> and was discovered by some guy. And then I, like, duplicated Kerbopple's, like, A++. And so that went on the fridge. Inside of the fridge, from the Devil and Homer Simpson, my sister helped with this one. I kind of ran out of time with stuff. So she was like, is there anything I can do? And I was like, get me donuts. I need a soul donut. So if you were to open the fridge to get the free booze I paid for. You got to see a mm, forbidden donut. Yeah, you got to see like a portion of a donut with don't touch daddy's soul donut Yeah, in the fridge. So, people, we, we all Please knew. Please tell me anyone, like, caught these Easter eggs. Everyone caught Everyone the Easter understood. eggs. Was it, like, the, mo- the best party of anyone's lives? They Still were talked like, about Whoa. today by me. <laughs> so, clearly, yes. Kids, it's time we told you the true story and put your fears to rest. It's a story of murder and revenge from beyond the grave. Very simple but very effective. The Nightmare on Evergreen Terrace episode, the the one with Groundskeeper Willie as, as Freddy Krueger. Which seemed to be, yes, taking from the original with the concept of he's coming back to kill in the dreams of the children of the parents who killed him. Yeah. But when he kills Martin, 
as he's like the Latin wizard. Yeah. That reminds me of the more sort of jokey, punny Freddy Krueger of like part three. Uh-huh. You know, he's, sure. he's getting the puns. <laughs> You've mastered a dead tongue, but can you handle a live one? <laughs> Very simple, but it stayed up for years. Like after everything came down, just a note by the thermostat that said, Don't touch Willie. <laughs> Which in the show, it just says, Don't touch, signed by Willie. Homer goes past and goes, Don't touch Willie. All right. And then turns the thermostat up <laughs> yeah. effectively. Then, like, he's in the furnace room and it catches him on fire and goes from there. But yeah, Don't touch Willie stayed in this house probably till they sold it mm -hmm. homie what he's typed will be a window into his madness feeling fine wow that's a relief and the last one this one took the most amount of time i knew and you know this is before the internet could really tell you anything useful <laughs> as far as like diy stuff but i knew that if you took detergent with whitening in it, you know, power of whitening, it would glow under a blacklight. So I went and bought a blacklight bulb at the, like, the dollar store. That thing didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. So then I bought a bigger one at a Halloween store. Still didn't do much. Because I was also just, I took just liquid detergent and was trying to write on the walls from the shinning episode, no TV, no beer makes Homer go crazy. Uh-huh. Which, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's The Shining, and as she goes to the typewriter to see what he's been writing, instead of saying, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, yeah. it just says, feeling fine. <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's good. And then, like, lightning flashes and on the ceiling and on the walls. And, again, this series had some genuinely scary moments. Probably the scariest was the uh, Terror at Five and a Half Feet, where they redid the Twilight Zone episode uh -huh. from the airplane. Uh -huh. And at the end, it's it's uh, the gremlin is it's scarier than the Twilight Zone ever did for the, for that episode like the ending of that episode it's like well now you're insane but at the end of this one it's a gremlin holding flanders's severed head with like the dangling spinal cord going hidely ho bartorino uh-huh what yeah so this was right up there like funny and scary which is just everywhere was this so i wanted to write just sort of glowing at the top like his top landing at the top of his stairs where anybody who needed to use the bathroom would like go off to but no one would really hang out at I just wanted to cover it with no TV and no beer makes Homer go crazy. And what eventually happened was my friend, Steve, he was like, you know what? I'll buy a black light. And he bought a big one. And then I found that if I took powdered detergent and just like wet it and turned it into a paste, mm -hmm. that it would stick to the wall nicely yeah. and uh -huh. like form words. So mm -hmm. anybody, that's my DIY advice to you. Get a big black light and get the powdered detergent. Wear gloves, because I got a rash on my knuckles from this thing, <laughs> as I spent hours just putting it, just like Homer, on the walls, on the ceiling. Well, that's really, I didn't put it on the floor. Have, like, at least they have like blacklight paint, like specifically. They probably had it then. I, I couldn't imagine such a thing would even be sold, though. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? Something that makes my life easier? No, I have to experiment with detergents <laughs> that I am, by the way, allergic to. <laughs> Party enjoyed by all. Speaks for itself. Oh, oh, I hate Halloween. Swinging back to The Simpsons, I've got to say that at the age I was, like, I'd watched my share of horror films, but I certainly hadn't 
look too much into Twilight Zone. I'd certainly never watched an episode of Night Gallery. I'd never seen like Omega Man before I'd seen Omega Man, where Homer's the Omega Man. And it works in that like, if you have seen the things they're referencing, you feel very clever. Yes. You're like, I get that. I've seen Freaks. And if you don't get it, but then later you go and watch it, you're like, oh, now I'm in on the joke. Yeah. So any horror fan at whatever phase you're in, it's all good for bringing you into the club. I'd have to say. Yes. There's a downtown fairy singing out proud Mary as she cruises Christopher Street. And some southern queen is acting loud and mean where the docks and the badlands meet. This Halloween is something to be sure of. Especially to be here without you. There's a Greta Garbo and an Alfred Hitchcock and some black Jamaican stud. There's five Cinderella's and some leather drags. I almost fell into my mug. There's a Crawford Davis and a tacky Cary Grant. And some homeboys looking for trouble down here from the Bronx. All right, Cat. Halloween. Happy Halloween, people. Happy Halloween. Happy October. I don't know what we're going to do next year. I think, though, that we really um, did ourselves a favor by just finding these, like, few corners of Halloween and just diving our heads right into Much like apple bobbing. Just sticking our heads <laughs> right into the world of Trials of Horror, Vintage Halloween, the Roseanne Halloween episodes. Not even Halloween specials, just Halloween episodes. Yeah. And trick or treat. I know for myself, every October, every, well, let's face it, mid-September when I start, every Halloween season, I have my standards that I must watch. I always watch Halloween a million times, watch Hocus Pocus, I watch, you know, everyone has their standards. But I think one of my greatest joys is being exposed to and exposing myself to kind of new fun stuff to pepper the season with Halloweeniness. Sure. And so for me, like, I'll discover new and awesome, like, pieces of pop culture and music because you give me these cool Halloween mixes. And I like falling down rabbit holes of, like, now I know more about vintage Halloween collectibles. And it's one of my favorite things to do is just to find something new and marvelous about this season and something a new way to enjoy it, a new way to look at it. And I think that's what this episode is all about. Even the new things have like that for for myself and and for you uh, have always been sort of at the corners and at the periphery we've always kind of known it was out there it's like yeah Roseanne that's a thing and oh yeah and like it's literally like one corner of Halloween town is just like old and odd Mm -hmm. you know over here for Haunted Mansion stuff yeah but over here for bizarre things made in Germany that are like coming up on a hundred years old yeah yeah and then you get into it and you're like, it's a whole new world. Some people spend every, you know, every spare moment they have on this particular hobby. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to share uh, what you like to get into at Halloween, folks, share it with us. Throw something up on our Facebook page. Send us a Facebook message. Find us at boysandghouls at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. I think we're pretty fun. Follow us on Instagram. Cat just gave me the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. For that one. Usually she is in charge of it, but I'll be sneaking in from time to time <laughs> as well. 
And if you like this episode, I know every episode is someone's first episode. We usually uh, attract a, an okay number of people, like new listeners, around Halloween time. Because it's Halloween. Yep. So, hey, everybody. This is our 55th episode. We put out one a month, 13th of every month. That means there's 54 episodes just waiting for you to enjoy. Yep. And four other Halloween-y episodes. But any of those 55 are good to enjoy at this time of year. You said it. And Kat. Perhaps you could say a warning. Oh, do you mean beware the moon?